Our scripture passage this evening is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,821. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you turn with me also to Lord's Day 21, Heidelberg Catechism. It can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnal on page 27. And if you would, please, can we read the answers together with one voice? What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it his duty to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. And what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in His grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. That's the teaching of the catechism. We pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, would you grant that we would be able to understand and see you at the eyes of faith the church that you have purchased in Christ and united to him, the body of Christ, which is in one spirit, which proclaims one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. May we come, Lord, to value the church greater. May we see the church as Christ sees the church. And may we be living members of it, willing and desiring to use our gifts for the sake of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many of you here are, um, are married, and um, there has been a, a popularizing of a lack of appreciation for the church. And what I mean by that is that in some ways, in American culture in particular, spirituality interest in spirituality, a general spirituality has increased. Um, But an interest in organized religion has decreased. Organized religion is seen as not good, not a positive. But spirituality, well, that's that's fine, you know. Spirituality, you know, my, you know, my church is out in the woods on a fishing boat. Right, Rick? On a lake. And I feel connected with God in and, and that way. And so going back to the, un, the, uh, the statement I made earlier, many of you here this, this evening are, are married. What I want us to, to get is that the idea of saying that you're a Christian, but you don't like the church. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't, like, I don't like the church. You know, I don't like that, the whole organized religion thing. Would be like me coming up to Rick and be like, Hi, Rick, I would, I would like to be friends with you. I don't like your wife. I don't want anything to do with Barb. Is that okay with you? No. It's not okay with you? Why would that not be okay with you? Because she's part of who you are, right? You, the two become one. The, the, so the idea of, of saying that I'm a Christian, but I don't want to belong to the church, or I don't want to associate with the church, is like telling Jesus, the groom, right, that, oh, Jesus, I love you. I just don't like your wife. I don't want anything to do with your wife. Well, let's put it this way. If Jesus were to have a Facebook account, he would be like those husband and wife accounts. It's one, right? And that's what I hope that you can grasp tonight is the the value of the church, the value that Christ himself 
places on the church. And the beauty of belonging to that community is not something to be viewed as negative, as something that is wrong. Has organized religion done bad things? Has the church uh, been bad in the past? Of course. But that doesn't negate the fact that we are called by God to assemble ourselves in this community and express the invisible nature of the church in a visible way. And saying that you're a Christian but don't do, want anything to do with the church is like saying, I love Jesus, I just don't like his wife. And we're not going to do that. And I wouldn't do that to you either, Barb, just so you know. So let's uh, look at our, our theme tonight. Our theme this evening is that Christ has made us a forgiven and forever community. Christ has made us a forgiven and forever community. And I want to look at four things. It's a created community. It's a living community. It's a committed community. And it's a forgiven community. Created community, living community, committed community, forgiven community. So let's look at this first point. It's a created community. Right there at the beginning of the catechism, the Lord's Day, it says, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? This is the part of the Apostles' Creed that we confess. I believe in a Holy Catholic Church. Oh, maybe I should make this a little c, right? Little c Catholic it's not the Roman Catholic Church, which my, my professor, Dr. Strange, thinks is one of the most ironic uh, word pairings that you can have. Roman. Universal. <laughs> it's Roman. It, it, you're localizing yourself to that part of the world, but you're saying you're the universal. The, besides that, Holy Catholic Church. What do you believe when you say, I believe a holy Catholic Church? And the answer here, this first part is that I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. So when I say created, what I'm saying is that um, Christ is the originator Of the church. He is the one that does all these verbs, right? He's the one that gathers, protects, preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. Uh, this is a community that does not appear out of nowhere, it's a community that's created. By the work of Christ through the Spirit and Word. 
And uh, one phrase that I love about this is just from the beginning of the world to its end. And uh, the, the Belgic Confession has a similar wording when it says in its article on the, uh, its article on the church that this is a church that has existed from the beginning of the world to its end. Um, that means that when we look at the Garden of Eden and we see Adam and Eve, we say that's the first church. And what we have all the way throughout biblical redemptive history is a creating and building of that church, um, that community. I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. Um, Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 4. At the beginning of the verse 4, he states, He's a prisoner of the Lord. And he calls them to live in accordance with the calling that they've received. And he expresses that this is the character of a Christian living by the Spirit, completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And in verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then Paul makes this declaration. He says, concerning the church, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, um, one. And so when the catechism describes here the church that's existed from the beginning of the world to its end, that's chosen for eternal life, this community, and united in true faith, it is thinking of a singularity. It is thinking of one group. And Carrie, you're saying, what do you mean by that? Uh, Because we look around and we say, well, you know, just in South Holland, there's a missionary Baptist church. Um, There's, uh, you know, more charismatic church. There's Catholic churches, there's, um, you know, Christian Reformed churches, RCA churches. Um, and if we just even look beyond that, just how many different denominations and churches that there are, how can you say that there's one? Well, what the catechism is talking about here is that there is an invisible communion, connection between all Christians who have true faith in Jesus Christ and who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That we all are one body, one faith, one Lord. And because visibly in our fallen world this is turned into schisms and separations and divisions does not mean ultimately that that invisible bond That unity of the Spirit is threatened. It just means as fallen sinful creatures, we're still trying to figure out how to get along. Some of those separations were necessary. Some of them may not have been. That's not the case. What's being described here is that if me, Carrie Gephardt, would go across the world to China, which may not be the best place to go right now, 
Well, let's say I were to go, and I were to meet a fellow Christian brother or sister there, and I did not know the language that they were speaking, and I could not communicate with them because there was a language barrier, and there's a culture, cultural barrier. There's a cultural barrier because the way things go in China is nothing like the way things go in America. And there's a, uh, a racial barrier. They're Chinese. I'm, I'm not. And all these things separate us, but I have more in common with them because of our union to Christ, than I do with the atheist who lives next door to me. That's a created community by Christ, by His Spirit and Word. Out of the entire human race, He has connected us, brought us together. That's why when we confess the Apostles' Creed tonight, I said, think about all the people who have confessed these very words. Maybe they didn't do it in English. Maybe they did it in Spanish. Maybe they did it in Chinese. Maybe they did it in Greek. Russian, yeah. Dutch. But we're all united to them living The end of question and answer 34 says, And of this community, I am and always will be a dead member, uh, an inactive member, a uh, never volunteering member, a living, a living member. And I think that the catechism goes on to describe more of what living member means. When it says, what do you understand by the communion of saints? I understand that by the communion of saints, first, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ. And all his treasures and gifts. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, can we share in Christ? Can we be united to the living one who will live forevermore, as Revelation says? Can we be united to him and be, have access to all of his treasures and gifts and be not alive, not living? Paul speaks of this in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says in chapter 4 that unless you get confused by all this speaking of one, right? You would think that everybody and every single thing in the church is supposed to be exactly alike. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So of these treasures and gifts, Christ has apportioned them. And he speaks of the ascension of Christ. Christ ascended into heaven so that he could give gifts to men. And these gifts are described 
as some who were given to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so there's a plurality in the unity of the church. There's not uniformity in the church. It's not uniformity. It's unity. Uniformity says everything has to be exactly alike. Unity says we're united on the essentials and we differ in our gifts. Right? I should say, not uniformity. And of these gifts, we're all given different degrees, amounts, positions and roles. And in those gifts, I think this is a pretty simple statement to be made. We're supposed to use them. We're supposed to use them. And that's why it says, second, that each member should consider it his duty or her duty to use these gifts for the service and enrichment of other members. I probably could have made this a living and committed community. So let's do this two and three together. Each member should consider it their duty to use their gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of other members. The way Paul talks about this is that these gifts are given... Um, Some roles or offices are given, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But the point of these roles, pastors, teachers, is to prepare you, God's people, for the work of service, works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That we are all essential to one another's growing in Christ. And that we are called to use gifts for the sake of others. And not our own benefit in the body of Christ. This is important. Because sometimes we think about the church. The church exists for me, for my benefit, for my good, which is true. But there is a a give and take here, right? An an easy way to say this would be, uh, what is that famous statement that JFK made? Ask not what you can do, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? And we could say the same thing applies to the church. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what, what you can do for your church. And when you think of church, I don't want you to think of, of an institution. I don't want you to think of necessarily a building, Cottage Grove, and its 501c3 nonprofit status with the American government. I want you to think of the members of the church, the living members of the church that make up the body of Christ. And I want you to think that God has 
gifted you with unique and individual gifts that are for the betterment of others, for their encouragement. And all you got to do is go into the Bible and start looking at every time it says one another. One another. And read it. And start thinking down to yourself, that's how I'm supposed to be seeking to lift my brothers and sisters in Christ up. Seeking to pray for them. Seeking to forgive them. Seeking to one another, one another. Do this for one another. In fact, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I think this is a, a pretty interesting thought. That if you go in the book of Ephesians and Colossians and, and read where it says that we are called to sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. It actually says that we're to do that for the benefit, the, the benefit of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. For their encouragement, for their lifting up, uplifting. So we're to be a community of living members called to use our access to Christ, the living one, and all of his treasures and gifts that he's given to us for the sake of others, committed. It's our duty to use our gifts for the service and enrichment of other members. Paul finishes the statement in Ephesians 4, then we will no longer be infants as we work together, as we use our gifts for the betterment of each other, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Christ is the head of, of the church, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Each part of the body as, as important and essential as every other part of the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's being said here is that to be a part of the living community and created community of Jesus Christ means that we can't be dead weight. We're called in the grace and power of God to seek to use our gifts for the other members. Well, I took care of two and three, so let's do that last. Last point, forgiven. I stated in my theme, Christ has made us a forgiven and forever community. And I think that um, this last catechism question and answer really brings it out. We confess in the, Heidelberg, or in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we're told from the catechism that when we say this, we're saying that I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life, sin, or sinful nature.
Rather, in his grace, <coughs> excuse me, I didn't do a, job, a good job of covering that, so I'm sorry. <laughs> We've seen so much about learning how to wash your hands and cover your sneezes the last few weeks. The funniest thing I saw, this is just on the side, was somebody from the CDC talking about how you need to try really hard not to, um, not to touch your face because that's how um, viruses spread and that's how sickness spreads. And then she licked her finger and changed the page on her. I said, wow, uh, don't imitate that, right, Rick? Rather in his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. As we consider all these things that we confess in the Apostles' Creed, Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, we have to remember that we're not leaving behind um, our statement about what we believe concerning the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who is applying and creating all these realities, who binds us all together as the Holy Catholic Church, who creates the communion of saints, and who brings to us and in our lives and in our hearts the reality of the forgiveness of our sins because of Christ's work. Christ's atonement means that our sins, the sins that we commit on a daily basis and a regular basis, are not held against us, nor is our sinful nature. Um, So our sin that we are born into Adam's sin that's imputed to us, right? Um, but also the sin that we, uh, we personally commit. All of it. Apparently, I forgot how to spell personally. You get an idea. All of it is not held against us anymore. Even though our sinful nature, we're called to struggle against all our life. Rather, we're granted the righteousness of Christ. The grace of God that frees us forever from judgment. Christ has made us a forgiven and forever community. And what I want you to realize is that it is in this forgiveness of our sins, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we can be called the Holy Catholic Church. Holy. We're not holy because we aren't personally guilty of sin. We're holy Because Christ has made us holy. It is in the forgiveness of sins that we can be made the communion of saints. We are not personally deserving of the title of saint. It is in the gift of righteousness that we've received in Christ that we are called saints. And it is in the forgiveness of sins that we have been created into a community that will live together forever. 
Now I promise, unhindered by sin and the curse, living forever with me will not sound as daunting and scary as it might sound now. We're called to be together forever with Christ forever. Um, This is the church. And as much as we've talked about the invisible realities of the church this evening, we're called to express those invisible realities in our visible expression of the church. Um, We're a community created by Christ. We are a community that is called to be living and committed, using our gifts for the benefit and the sake of others who are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are a community that is forgiven and called to forgive others because of how great a forgiveness we have received. The church gets a lot of flack these days. Organized religion gets a lot of flack these days. What I want you to to take here at the end is, is that we as the church, we're the bride of Christ. Christ sees us as precious. Christ sees us as beautiful in our white wedding dress. He's washed us. He's cleansed us. And so for us to say that we're a Christian, but we don't really want anything to do with the church, you're going to hear this as you are out in the world. In essence, is to say, that I like Jesus, I just don't like his wife. May we be those who honor the church, who speak highly of the church, um, who do not overlook the church's mistakes and where the church needs to grow, but may we know the joy and the wonder of belonging as members, living members, to a forgiven and forever community. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Christ and by his spirit and word, we have been brought into this forgiven and forever community. May we grow in our appreciation and love for the church. May we grow in our willingness and desire to use our gifts for the sake of others, to be committed members, living and active. And may we know, Lord, the wonder of the grace given to us in Christ Jesus that makes us holy. that you could call us saints. May we know the hope and joy of the forever that awaits us 
when Christ comes again. It's in his name we pray. Amen.